You are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from. Everyone is included, accepted, and loved. For more information, please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org. Good morning, everybody. Wow, sound. Let there be it. Uh, So how many of you were distracted by this sound of this cowbell as I was walking up here this morning? Good. (laughs) That's a great start. So now that I've got your attention, I'm actually going to take it off. It will be relevant to our message today, but I think it's been relevant enough for now. Um, I want to take just a moment first to um, welcome you to another beautiful Sunday of worship here at Woods Chapel Blue Springs. I'm just so honored to be leading you through worship uh, and sharing the word with you today. And I want to extend a special welcome to people who are joining us online today. Uh, We celebrate your presence here with and among us, even though we don't see you face to face. So just thank you so much for joining us. And we hope that this is as life-giving for you at home as it is hopefully for us here today. I'm so excited to be here that I'm shaking. Uh, You all have been so warm and lovely in your welcome of me, and yet I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope they like me. And I think all pastors go through that at first, so I'm I'm just naming it, I'm putting it right out there. Um, so I'm Courtney Lemke, and I'm, I've joined your team recently as your director of emerging communities. Now, many of you might be wondering, like, what the heck does that mean? Well, good question. We're still figuring that out. Uh, but what I can tell you is I was most recently solo pastoring a small rural church in central Missouri, and uh, I took that appointment in 2019, and in 2020, we were struck with a global pandemic, as you know, forcing most of us to shut down churches and go to online worship, which was really hard for my rural church. Like most of us didn't have reliable Wi-Fi. We still have satellite internet. I don't know if any of y'all deal with that, but it is a pain. So it was very hard for us to adapt. But um, in that time, part of how I myself sought the connection that I was desperately looking for, because I was living alone in a parsonage in the middle of a cornfield, was I started doing these daily devotionals online and just kind of sharing my own vulnerabilities and thoughts and fears with the people that were willing to join me in that time and space. And what I recognized during um, the feedback I got from that time was that it wasn't my church people who were tuning in to have community with me. It was the unchurched people, my friends from the Wayback Machine, who either would never darken the doorway of a church uh, or who had been hurt by church, but felt like they could establish a relationship and a trust with me. And it was then that I realized that part of my passion and my calling from God is to reach those folks who are not going to darken our doorways and to equip them uh, with the tools that they need to love God and love their neighbor right where they're at. So that's part of what we will be doing together here in this communities. We're looking out for the ways that people are crying out or hungry for community, and we're going to find a way to connect them with others. And so I'm just so eager to be on this team and to learn from you and to do this work with you. Now, enough about me. Let's get into this message. And I know all of you saw me wear that ridiculous cowbell up here, which I have to say I'm really impressed that you already had that here at your church. Somebody had a cow costume, and I was like, hey, Amy, do you have a bell? And she was like, actually, we do. Uh, so <laughs> very impressed with your level of preparedness here. So I got to borrow your bell. Um, but I wonder if any of you have ever worn a bell like that, like around Christmas time, you know, those sleigh bell necklaces? Uh, I think of it like an old-timey cow, like in cartoons, you know, like the, with the skin and bones cow with that big bell. Uh, or like a cat 
who's like precocious and gets away, so you have to put a bell on their neck so you can find them, they don't get stuck in a tree or whatever. So I did wear a bell in real life at least one time. And I was in second grade, and I received a sleigh bell necklace for Christmas, and I proudly wore it to school. And I was a little wiggle worm. And needless to say, there was a note home that day to my mom and dad about appropriate accessories. And that was probably the last time I wore a bell to school. But like my poor teacher, how distracting was that for my teacher? So that was something I did for fun. And it got attention that maybe I didn't want, but I did it for fun. But what if we had to wear a bell to announce something that wasn't fun? What if you had to wear a bell to announce your sin to anyone and everyone around you? Like a cowbell for sin. I've got a fever and the only cure is more cowbell. And it's a funny image, right? Until you think of the reality of that torturous, incessant bell. So on that note, let's hear from the scripture today. This is from the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So in Jesus's day, having leprosy was a little bit like wearing a cowbell around your neck because you got a lot of attention for something that you had no control over. So the Hebrew in this scripture, and I might, I might butcher this pronunciation, seminarians don't know everything. Uh, the Hebrew in this scripture is tzarat, which doesn't translate to the leprosy that we know today, um, which is a bacterial disease that still exists. But tzarat was thought to be a disease of the spirit, which also affected the body. And to give you a modern day example of something that you might have experience with or love someone who has experience with this, you might identify something like PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder as a cognitive or spiritual disorder that can affect the body with waves of panic and flashbacks and other true, real physiological symptoms. So these unclean people were often highly contagious and they were not permitted around other people and they were especially not allowed in the temple. And we have two whole chapters in Leviticus that outline how to be ritually clean to go to the temple. Because in temple days, ritual purity referred to whether or not the spirit was well, not necessarily the body. But then again, in those days, people believed that the spirit and the body were one and the same. So... This disease of Tsarat was handled by secluding people somewhat like quarantine. But the seclusion was not 
just physical. It was also emotional and spiritual, like a shunning. Um, but this seclusion was imposed. It was imposed separation. And if one of these quarantined, separated people was caught in public, their skin gave them away immediately. And it's just the way that a cowbell might give you away in a quiet space because others would actually point at them and shout, unclean! They literally brought attention to these people because they weren't supposed to be out mixing with the rest of us. So I want to set the stage for this, this beautiful story that Jesus encounters 10 of these individuals. And not only are these individuals unclean, but they are Samaritans. So not only are Samaritans foreigners where Jesus is, but to Judeans, they were the worst kind of foreigners. And you might wonder what I mean by that. Well, let me unpack it a little bit. Why was there hostility? Well, the region of Samaria, along with Galilee in the north, had once comprised the northern Israelite tribes who separated from Judah in the 10th century. So this was a thousand years before Jesus. I have allergies, guys. I'm sorry, I keep wiping my nose. So they did this in order to establish a rival monarchy. This was like worse than KU versus Mizzou. Like, this is a really big deal. And over time, these Samaritans developed their own religious traditions and they emphasized devotion to Torah, and they were affiliated with this sanctuary on Mount Gezerim. So 800 years later, so now we're talking about 200 years before Jesus, most of Galilee had converted to Judaism. And this left this middle region of Samaria isolated between two Jerusalem-affiliated populations. In other words, like they were surrounded. <laughs> And in Jesus' day, hostility towards these kind of odd Samaritans was still strong enough that the pilgrims from Galilee often would bypass Samaria en route to Jerusalem, even though it added considerable time to the journey. So imagine your college rivalry was so bad you wouldn't even drive into the state. You're like, I will take a two-day detour to Montana. I'm not dealing with this. That's how bad it was, but they were traveling on foot. So this was a really big culture clash. Jews considered Samaritans their enemies. And in this Samaritan leper, Jesus not only heals an illness, but he demonstrates to the Jewish people, not just to love our enemies or to love our worst enemies, but that these enemies, these people that we think are enemies, and are actually their agents of God's love and hope, because this enemy is the only one that returned back to praise God and thanks. So when this Samaritan returns, he doesn't show every visible sign or proof of healing. He just praises God. And how provocative that Luke, who is the author of this scripture, presents the Samaritan as the exemplar, the example of love your neighbor as yourself. And love the God, the Lord your God, with all your heart. So after this display of praise on the part of the Samaritan, Jesus proclaims to him these incredible words, your faith has made you well. 
Now, most pastors, when they are researching for their sermons, they will look at several different translations of Scripture just to get a really well-rounded idea of maybe what some of the translations, what new meanings we might get from reading different language. And every single translation I studied of that scripture, that line remains totally unchanged. Your faith has made you well. So imagine being approached by someone on the street today. Maybe not necessarily someone with leprosy, but by someone that looks unwell. Maybe it's a person that you would consider crossing the street to avoid. And this person asks you for some money to put gas in their car. And they offer you maybe what you think is like a sob story. Oh, you know, I have a family member so, you know, 50 miles away. And um, could you just spare a buck or two so I can get home to this person? And, you know, you've heard the rigmarole before. Maybe you start to roll your eyes or you get uncomfortable. But maybe, just maybe something catches in their voice and you hear it differently this time. And maybe in your heart of hearts, you think maybe this one's telling the truth. Maybe they just need some human kindness. So you reach for your billfold or your purse, and then wait a minute, you notice something else. This guy's wearing a hat that said he voted for the other guy in the last election. (laughs) Oh, heck no. I'm not helping this guy. This guy is trouble. He's trouble, right? But... You sense, like in your belly, something different from the trouble that you might be expecting. Maybe you sense fear or vulnerability. This guy is the equivalent of a stranger in a strange land, and his approaching you for help could be the hardest thing that he has done recently. And you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to help another human being, one that other, under other circumstances you really might have considered your enemy. So I want to do something really vulnerable now and share a cringy personal story with you. I don't come out looking like a daisy in this one, so I'm going to ask for your grace. When I was a little girl, so I grew up in an Air Force family, and when I was a little girl from uh, fourth to sixth grade, I lived in, uh, on an Air Force base in Japan. And in fourth through sixth grade, I had some of the same kids in every class with me, because as you can imagine, it wasn't like a huge school. It was just the influx of the base kids coming in and off. And there was this one boy that I was in every class with, and boy, did it bother me. I don't know why, but I did not like this kid. He was kind of a wet noodle, and the other kids pushed him around, and he just took it. And... uh, I was bullied in school too, but man, I you know, bowled up my fist and I said, you leave me alone. And the funny thing about being bullied, and it's not funny, I'm not, I'm not trying to make this something it's not or make light of a serious situation, but the ones of us who get bullied are the ones who are easy to bully, right? We're sensitive or we're easy to wind up or whatever. And that's just easy pickings. It's low-hanging fruit. And I was that kid. I was tall and sensitive and just kind of easy to pick on because, you know, I responded. This kid never responded, though. He just took it. And there was something about that to me that just got under my skin. And I'm not proud of this, but I know there were times that I personally was unkind to him. And I know that it's because deep, deep down inside of me, there was some part of me that identified with him. And... I felt like, because I was in pain, that I could direct my pain at somebody else. And maybe that was the answer for me in my little fourth grade mind, right? That 
I could feel big and important and less vulnerable to my own bullies if I also picked on this kid that was like less powerful than me. So one day it was announced that this kid was having a minor surgery and he was gonna be home for about two weeks to recover and somebody needed to run his homework to him. And I can't remember if I volunteered or was voluntold, but I do remember being the one that was charged with taking homework to this kid and I was pretty nervous walking to this kid's house for a couple of reasons. So number one, it was a part of the Air Force base that I was unfamiliar with. I didn't know the neighborhood, I didn't know the streets. All the houses look the same. If any of you all have been on military bases, like every single house looks the same. But I was also convinced that he had already like pre-tattled on me, right? Like that he had told his parents that I was mean to him at school um, and that I was unkind. And that gave me a sense of shame that I was going to encounter these parents and have to live up to the way I was treating their kid. And I got there and his family was so warm. They were so welcoming. And I remember in that moment, in that very moment, I knew that I had made a grave error. Now I couldn't put my finger on why I didn't have the wisdom or life experience to understand that hurt people hurt people. I've been watching Wednesday Wisdom too. I've been watching uh, Mike's sermons and on like using our words, for example. And that's what I knew about myself in fourth and fifth grade, that I was a hurt person that in turn was hurting somebody else. And it was a grave error. And I recognized that this kid's sensitivity and his easy demeanor was me and only I had turned the wrong way when I was bullied. And he did the right thing when he was bullied. And this changed me. It galvanized something in me from a very early age. This kid ended up becoming my friend after I brought his homework to him. So service really is the antidote to like narcissism, right? To like that self-centered nature that we all have. And no offense, young people in here, but the, like the youngest of us are usually the worst about it. So we're pretty sure everything's about us. So this whole experience changed me and it reconciled me with him as a friend, but it also began to reconcile me within myself because I was forced to confront the ways that I was just like the people that I thought were my enemies, transmitting my own pain into others instead of turning the other cheek. So now that I've gotten that cringy story out for you all, I've bared my soul to you. Let's examine another real world scenario that you may have seen play out on the news. This is a couple of years back, two or three years ago. It made headlines when former president George W. Bush went to a football game and sat and was friendly with Ellen DeGeneres. So for those of you who have been under a rock for the last 20 years, Ellen is a comedian and talk show host and she's an out lesbian and she's married to a woman and they are queer identified people. And it might not sound that controversial for a former president and a talk show host to be sitting together at a football game, but several years previous to this football game, President Bush had voted to oppose civil marriage rights and protections for the gay community. So here they are watching a football game and they're laughing and they're enjoying each other's company and I personally envision them like, like sharing a beer, you know? <laughs> and I wanna suggest that what we saw here was not just some, you know, random act of people having fun. I wanna suggest that we saw, what we saw in that relationship and in that moment of unity at a football game was actually healing from an illness. From the outside, it might look like a pair of opposites 
enjoying a game, but this was also an act of reconciliation or healing from the sin of separation. In their friendship, both parties, both President Bush and Ellen, have mutually chosen to look past the hurt of the past and move towards each other in fellowship and love. And sometimes, just like Jesus and the Samaritan, or me and that little boy at school, or like Ellen and President Bush, those who we might consider our enemies are not actually our enemies. They're neighbors from whom we can learn and who we can love selflessly. In this story, you might identify with any number of the characters that were drawn out. You might see yourself more like the George W. Bush character demonstrating in his friendship with Ellen that his sense of traditionalism doesn't stem from a place of hate. Or maybe you're more like Ellen and you've chosen to forgive someone who didn't advocate for you. Maybe you can identify with the feeling of having a bell around your neck. A Samaritan called out for your otherness. Or maybe you're like the temple priest who needs to see what Jesus has done in making the Samaritan clean. That is, maybe you have been called to prepare a table of welcome for those who you were previously guarding against. Or maybe you're the bullied bully, taking your pain out on someone littler than you. Or just maybe you're a disciple, taking in this miracle of what Jesus has done before your very eyes in awe and wonder, trying to make sense of what Jesus has done in this moment and in eternity. So no matter how you identify within this story, Jesus has a message for you. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. It's easy to see the wonder of what Jesus has done in this story. So let's pause and consider what a miracle it was that the Samaritan leper pauses to offer gratitude before hurrying off to the temple. This gratitude that he offers puts him in right relationship with his Savior, offering love in return for love. Because gratitude is love that returns love for love. Do you take the time to pause for gratitude to return love when you are in a hurry? When we pause for gratitude, maybe especially when we're in a hurry to do something very important, like get to the temple, go to church, to submit that paper, to meet the deadline, you are glorifying God. Love, giving love is healing and it makes us well. Will you pray with me? Creator and creating God, we are so grateful that you have gathered us in this space, both this beautiful church and your online church to lift up and celebrate you and all that you have done through your son and through his church. We pray that you will continue to pour into us the spirit of returning love with love and to see ourselves in our enemies, to have compassion and kindness not only for them, but for our wounded and beloved selves. We'd reach out to you as your beloved children, offering love in return for love. 
We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.